Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the FT Advisor podcast. I'm Damien Fantato, digital editor of FT Advisor. Last week, the Treasury followed up the budget by publishing several long-awaited consultations into tax on what became known as Tax Day. But like all sequels, it didn't necessarily live up to the hype. Despite some suggestions that inheritance tax and capital gains tax would be reformed, most of the changes were administrative, and the wait goes on for any eye-catching changes to pensions tax relief. With me to dissect the Treasury's announcements, such as they were, and to discuss why reform is always expected but never seems to appear, are Claire Trott, Head of Pension Strategy at Technical Connection, and Chris Etherington, Private Client Partner at RSM. Hello both. Good morning. Hi, Damien. So, as I start by asking you for some takeaways, some hot takes off from tax day. Uh, Claire? Um, I think the thing that really struck me is that there's there's lots in there about tackling non-compliance. Um, and I think that's actually you know, a, a really good thing that they're going to go after promoters of uh, tax avoidance. Um, we, uh, I'm sure Chris has the same. We, you see some of these things come across your desk and, and they fill you with dread. Um, and, and I think anything that can protect our clients and make sure they get the money back and they can get out of these schemes, I think, is a, a real positive. So that was the one thing on there that that sort of jumped out at me as, as something that you know was a real positive from this as there was very little else on the on the pension side of things Chris yeah I think you're right it, it, I mean, ahead of ahead of tax day it was a pretty exciting prospect you know we had a, a whole day dedicated to tax uh, which which for me as a tax advisor was, was music to my ears but um, you know uh, saying that I think Whilst it was, might have been a day in my calendar, I, I think it's passed much of the public by. It, ha- it certainly hasn't got into the public consciousness as much as, say, a budget. And it, it makes sense uh, for the government to do this in principle, you know, giving themselves a bit of breathing space, making some uh, announcements to sort of the future shape of the tax system and so on. But the, the reasons for doing it have, have, as sort of Claire alluded to, it's, it's very much focused on setting out the pathway for tax administration, tax policy, and it's it's laying the groundwork for future policy rather than actually giving us anything meaty in terms of what those policy decisions might be. I think a lot of people were hoping for clarity as to what might be coming down the road. We're really none the wiser at all. You know, the Chancellor and the Treasury are pretty much playing their cards close to their chest right now. I guess they're, they're waiting to see what hand they might be given by the economy, what, what the recovery might look like. And so, yeah, why why would they want to sort of make some flashy announcements as to what those policy changes might be when they don't actually know what the size of the pie is in terms of the, the economy, if you like. So uh, that, that, I guess, will give us some stability over the months ahead with this tax year coming up, which is obviously a good thing for, for people in business and so on. Um, and, and I guess we will have to hope that we do have a positive economic bounce back but because if, if we don't, well, yeah, inevitably, they're going to go back to a drawing board and we'll, we will get a further bill to pay, I think. Mm. I think it's right, Chris, that's quite interesting. The, the, a lot of it's around getting the right tax in at the right time and a little bit sooner. Yeah. Um, so if we do get this bounce back, that they will start getting more tax in uh, in a more timely fashion. Uh, without a lot of hassle so you know making tax digital obviously that we're all very welcome that sort of thing so I think you know that it's it's a move in the right direction isn't it to to get the money in I think that's right I mean you could you could basically break down tax day into sort of three main areas the first like Claire's talking about is, is 
tax admin, administration of it all, how to modernize it. Where they want to get to is is really a, a modern digital system where you know basically there's very little processing put in and they get their their tax in as soon as possible you know it's a real-time system they're after and they're, they're pumping in 95 million of of, of of money into digital infrastructure now i guess a lot of people will be skeptical as to whether that would be sufficient amount to uh, to to fully fund a, a digital project by HMRC. They're actually, of the government bodies, they're one of the better ones at digital projects. Yeah, in terms of, if you look at what they've done on data analytics, for example, they've they've got award-winning software. There's a there's a, a project that they've got, some software called Connect, which, you know, putting it in simple terms, you know, they throw a whole load of data into this, this software and it, it pulls out all, all the various inquiries that inspectors should go after and they estimate it's generated about Three billion extra tax in the last decade or so. So that that indicates that actually yeah, they may be better at this than say the layman may consider them to be. So that's all sort of tax admin front. And like like I say, it's it's making tax digital is is really uh, coming down the line for those on self assessment and and getting income tax in sooner. That's within two years, twenty twenty three. That is meant to be starting. Then you got the second tranche. Really was all around. Okay, well, how do we how do we actually increase our revenues through the system we've already got? What close down the tax gap? So the tax gap is what individuals, what the difference is between what individuals pay and what HMRC think they will be able to collect. And at the moment, it stands around thirty one billion. So there's various ways that they can try and increase their take from from what we've already got at the moment. But interestingly, they've focused pretty much on avoidance in, in the tax day. Now, avoidance, if you go into the detail of it, I think that's a problem they've already solved to some extent. You know, it's not, it's not completely solved, but 1.7 billion of that tax gap of 31 relates to avoidance. So it's not it's not exactly the, the big ticket. You know, it's not, it, there's there's much bigger prizes to be going after in terms of the amount down to you know, criminal sanctions or evasion and mm-hmm. things like that. And then you've got a whole host of slightly random other measures I guess if you had to sort of try and put them under a theme, it was around again that that sort of theme of trying to get in revenue, which the which the government think they should be getting. So bit more specific measures. So we had perhaps the most eye catching one was around furnished holiday lets and a slight abuse of business rates, as it as it turns out. Mm. Two of the areas where the um, I think there was some expectation that there would be action was IHT and CGT. Principally because the government has already commissioned reviews into both of these taxes. Um, so there's obviously some sort of acknowledgement that there needs to be reform there. So wh- why do you think that they're not actually doing anything, Claire? Um, well, IHT, they're going to uh, at least simplify the forms. As I say, not that many people actually pay IHT, but a load of people have to fill the forms out. Um, so hopefully they're going to re- remove that for, for a lot of people and and obviously hopefully remove the forms themselves so things can be done online, which will make a, a real big difference because you know, IHT and you have to print them out um, isn't, isn't a, a great thing. Um, I think with the CGT side of things, yeah, I think that's still up for review. Um, I, I suspect it's just too big a project to to have done at this point in time. Um, we, we have to remember, obviously, the government are still very busy with dealing with everything else. Um, so they've, there's quite a few consultations here, but you know, something as big as looking at CGT might just be one step too far. 
um, and to give themselves some time for the the economy to play out and for them to to then go back and look even more detail at the OTS reports um, and and then possibly take that forward a, a future date. I just think it just needs that bit of time and consideration and now just doesn't feel like the time for that in-depth review of anything particularly because we're all still don't really know where we are or, or where we're going to be in the next six months mm. i think that's spot on i think the you know if we had ha- had um the budget in the autumn i think we would maybe had a, a lot more interesting stuff in there and and likewise into tax day you know we had a lot of speculation, particularly around CGT in the six months leading up to the budget. And then we had the third lockdown in January. And it really put you know the brakes on in terms of having, being able to introduce a more flashy policy. It was getting seriously looked at. We know that. But I think that a lot of this comes from political pressure to some extent. You know, we, they do have a constraint in terms of time. What's the size of the prize that we're going at here? You know, if you look at capital gains tax, for example, yeah, the current revenues are around nine and a half billion. And if you implemented all you know, the, the key recommendations from the Office of Tax Simplification, that would have raised it by around four and a half billion. So not, not huge numbers when you and that's maybe why they're looking at the tax gap. You know, you've got 31 billion there to have a go at already. Whereas if you do something really controversial from a conservative chancellor perspective, you know, introducing arguably the highest capital gains tax rate in the world, is that something that a, ch- a, a chancellor with aspirations to to move next door really wants to do? And does he want to have that fight now, uh, particularly when he doesn't even know whether he needs to do that in order to raise the revenue because he doesn't know what the economy is going to look like, like Claire was saying. So, yeah, I, I suspect that's one of the main reasons. It's interesting that the OTS actually form part of tax day as well. They, they put a specific point in there saying, we're going to look at the effectiveness of the OTS. It's not hard to read between the lines there. I think that they're not massively uh, satisfied with the output that's been coming out. I mean, it, I find it a little bit harsh on, on the OTS to say, well, you know, it's because it's, it, they're basically being totally ignored in everything that they've recommended. So to then turn around and say, oh, you know, it's, 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 it's because of the output, we need to look at their effectiveness and stuff. Well, you know, maybe may take into account some of the recommendations they've made. They have done on the administrative side, as Claire said, for, for IHT, and that's got to be welcomed because the, the IHT administrative process is awful, frankly. Uh, I mean, if you were picking this up as somebody trying to do it yourself, at what is always obviously uh, an emotional time when somebody passes away, you end up you know preparing twenty five forms all in paper, no digital system, massively laborious, very very difficult to work your way through the guidance. So that needs uh, digitising more than anything else. To be honest, uh, then they could start there in terms of trying to bring that IHT system into the twenty first century for a start. But beyond that, yeah, I I, I just I, I get the impression that it isn't on their agenda immediately, CGT more so, and and perhaps we we could still see in the future uh, a, a rise in rates, but I don't think it's going to get up to income tax rate levels. I just can't see politically how they would bring that in. Yeah, you maybe you could see something raising up to 28%, but it, I'm not sure he wants to pull that lever yet. And that's all coming down to timing again, where we are. Maybe this, this time next year, we could be having this sort of conversation again. Mm. And Claire, I'm, I'm afraid we're going to have to discuss pensions tax relief. There was speculation for tax day that the whole system would be 
torn to pieces and rebuilt comprehensively. To be relatively honest, there's speculation before every budget, every statement about this, isn't there? So why do you feel it is that there's um, this demand from certain aspects of, of, of um, the media or the financial services sector for reform, but there's not going that isn't um, met from the government? I think it's just truly due down to the complexity. Um, I mean, they've done reviews in the past um, and they've made suggestions about flat rate tax relief. And the feedback that they've had has been, you know, it's it's really difficult. And we have to remember the majority of tax relief goes to employers. Um, all this, uh, the high earners are, are getting loads of tax relief, yet they are getting tax relief. And it may not quite be going to all the right people to do all the right things and drive the right behaviours. But of the figures that are banded around, which um, I, I do dispute at, uh, at times, the 38 billion, I think, was the last figure that I saw, which you know, is, it isn't necessarily quite right. A lot of that is going to employers. A lot of that is going to employer funded DB schemes. So it's it's those employers that are, that are getting it. And, and as we know, um, that uh, we, we don't want those DB schemes to, to suffer. So it's really difficult uh, to sort of rearrange all of that to ensure that, you know, the right people are getting the right drivers to, to make the right decisions. Um, and say so back when they did the, the last review, they just couldn't come to a decision. Um, they couldn't, you know, come to a consensus of how to do it to, to ensure that the, the right people were, were getting it. Even the Public Accounts Committee last year published a report saying, you know, it needs to be looked at. We, we think disproportionately higher earners are getting more tax relief um, and it's not necessarily proportionate to the to the earnings, which you know just seems a little bit odd. But that that that's where we are. And the government's response to that was we're not going to we've looked at it before. We're not going to look at it in the next 12 months. So what that does is it kicks it down the line to September, October again this year. So um, although there were the, 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 the stories out there that they're going to do it, I was very sceptical of them, um, although I did get quite nervous come Saturday uh, when they started showing their, their faces again. But, um, yeah, I think you know, there's still scope for a further review. Uh, I just think, again, a bit like CGT, now is not the time. Um, it's, a, it's a very in-depth thing that needs to be dug into and has been before. So the government probably knows what the outcome would be. Mm. It's a bit like budget bingo, isn't it? Before every budget over the last 10 years or so, we've had, oh, we're going to have some sort of simplification or higher rate tax relief withdrawn or something like that. And it's a safe bet. It's on every uh, tax advisor's predictions for that year. And it just doesn't seem to happen. You know, so I think you're right. A lot of this tax day has feels like it is kicking issues down the road, um, you know, dealing with stuff which is getting tax in early, closing down avoidance, but not really dealing with any major policy matters. Mm-hmm. Uh, you both t- a little earlier touched on the issue of ad- avoidance and HMRC published some information shortly before tax day, I think it was, where they were expressed concern about the fact that a lot of the avoidance was moving to middle income professionals, doctors, for example. And is that something that you expect there's going to be more action uh, on, Chris? I think um, there's a few measures that they're looking to take action on in terms of the avoidance piece in particular. And yeah, there was there was some uh, statistics published about various people in different in different industries and sectors and and their you know, relative incomes and so on. And I, I think you've got to go as as the government have suggested, look at who are actually promoting these schemes. 
And it, there were two broad measures that they were proposing to bring in. One was around how do we improve the standards of tax advisors and in particular forcing anyone giving tax advice to take out relevant indemnity insurers because you can be left high and dry. You don't really need any qualification to formally call yourself a tax advisor. You know, most people who are doing it as a job will have the relevant qualifications, but it's a little bit wild west out there. So I think that's a, that's a sensible step to take. The other thing, there's still people out there putting schemes out there which really don't work at all. You know, they are you know, being sold something which which isn't appropriate, which is aggressive, and then you know, quite literally going into the sunset sometimes, you know, with your money going to play on a sunny golf course somewhere. Um, so it, there's, there's going to be more legislation brought in to counter that type of activity. And, you know, it, tax is very difficult. And I suspect a lot of people who get into these schemes, regardless of their, you know, whether it's Middle Englanders or people who are, you know, perhaps you're more traditionally thought of avoiders, which are high net worth individuals, you know, on all of those counts, it's about the the understanding of the tax system, ultimately. And it's so complex that if you've got somebody selling something at you and you're being told you're a fool for not doing it, it can be, it's very easy to get duped into doing this sort of thing. So I do have sympathy that, for those people in those circumstances. In contrast, they also noted a few areas where specifically people are deliberately gaming the system, for want of a better phrase, and that was around furnished holiday lets. That was quite an interesting one, where apparently we've had quite a big rise in, in these second homes, and, and really this was all around avoidance of council tax in particular. So individuals who have a furnished holiday let benefit from preferential tax treatment in the main. And in particular, you if you have your home available for let, and these are the rules specifically to England at this point, um, there's slightly different rules in Wales and Scotland. But for, for claiming um, exemption from council tax and getting into business rates, you need to have your house available for let for 140 days. Now, you don't actually have to let it out as it stands. There are slightly different rules for the income tax reliefs and so on, wider rules that you uh, reliefs that you can get where you do need to let it out for at least 105 days. But for business to get into business rates, you only need to make it available for that. So the government were concerned a lot of people were, they were saying that it was available for let for 140 days, but actually putting a ridiculous rent on it or only making it available during November and other, other unattractive times to be letting out your property. And, and basically getting into the, into the system on a technical basis but not actually running a true furnished holiday let. And if you get into business rates, you get something called small business rate relief, which means effectively 100% relief from rates. And my understanding is, although I'm not an expert in it, is it's basically everybody that got small business rate relief also got a £10,000 COVID grant as well. So you know, that it was potentially open to abuse. And people, although the government doesn't have any true figures or has been able to measure this, they have a concern that people have been doing this. You know, the number of holiday vets has apparently risen by around 12,000 in the last two or three years. So that's a lot of people getting into, into the uh, the game, if you like, of uh, staycations and renting it out. You know, so obviously with the last year, it's a growing trade, isn't it? But I think the key is if it's not meant to be directed at people who simply have a second home and are uh, don't you know actually getting paid if you're getting a COVID grant for having it. Hmm. Uh, Claire, do you think that this is an area where um, advisors are going to have to be increasingly aware of? 
particularly as, as, as regards their clients, you know, potentially those middle income clients um, getting drawn into things that the HMRC might not like? I, I think I think advisors are pretty well aware. I mean, we've got to give them credit. People with advisors are much less likely to to end up being sucked into these things. From my experience, it tends to be those people who have no one to turn to, no one to get any backup from. So I think uh, advisors have been you know, instrumental in protecting uh, a lot of their clients. I think one of the things that, that Chris mentioned just regarding the the fact that some of these things are just unclear. So people get sucked in because it's unclear, legislation's unclear, processes are unclear. And that's another change that they've obviously put in in their modernising tax, that uh, they're going to try and tidy up some of this legislation and tidy up some of these processes. Um, and I think that will be such a benefit to people who don't necessarily want to go and get advice on absolutely everything, but um, they can just see how things should work. Um, and I think if we, we can tidy up legislation, I'm, I mean, I would advocate for them tidying up pensions legislation, but I'm not quite that sure that falls into this remit. Um, but, you know, anything that they can do to make our systems uh, and the way that we pay tax much clearer um, has got to help. Um, but uh, just on the, the avoidance things, I think, say, the protection of having a sounding board, even if, as an advisor, I think is is really important. Mm. Yeah, I think it comes down to getting that real time information in, isn't it? If they can get a, a truer picture of your affairs in the round quicker. And it, I'm not sure it will be simpler to start with. You know, it's in the first, in, in two years time, for example, we've got self-assessment coming in through making tax digital. It's not going to impact on everybody to start with, but you know, a large proportion of people will fall into that. And you know, rather than just one January deadline once a year, you've, you've then got quarterly reporting, you've got four deadlines to think about. And, mm -hmm. and in the short to medium term, it might actually be a bit more complicated as we run a bit of a hybrid of some people having a normal tax return, some people having to do four returns effectively. You know, and where do we sit in between? You know, it, it, perhaps more cracks for people to fall into. But like Claire says, you know, that ultimately, if it sounds too good to be true, it usually is. You know, the government have done a really good job of tightening up loopholes. That's why that avoidance figure in that tax gap is quite a small number now. You know, it, it, 1.7 billion is not to be sniffed at, but it was much higher. You know, evasion accounts for about four or five billion, and you've got things like mistakes accounting for five billion, you know. So there, there are you know, wider areas for, for HMRC to have a go at you know, on that perspective. But it's still possible for people, unfortunately, to, to get duped by unscrupulous types who are putting schemes out there which don't truly work at the outset. Mm. And, and finally, do you think, uh, I'm going to ask you both to put your, your, your necks on the line, do you think that we're going to see some wider level of reform in the next year, maybe two years, to some of the taxes that we've mentioned, capital gains tax, inheritance tax, pension tax relief, uh, Chris? We do have the Office of Tax Simplification's second report on capital gains tax. Now, that is, is due any time because, frankly, they said they were going to publish it earlier in the year. And I, I took that to mean January. And, and I think there was a real push to get the first report, which was 135 pages. And that was the short version. So this second one is is likely to be a bit of a beast uh, to, to work your way through, keep us uh, our candles in the dark, trying to keep ourselves awake to read the thing. I would be surprised if it didn't start some of the speculation going in terms of concerns around capital gains tax rates. What was absent from that report really was 
there's only sub substance about what we're going to do to try and encourage entrepreneurial behavior. And, and a lot of it was around how do we increase revenues and uh, how do we you know, stop distorting behavior by having an income tax rate so substantially different to a capital gains tax rate. But what it didn't really address was, well, we're going to need some entrepreneurial activity to get ourselves out of this mess and help grow the economy. Yes, we've We've had a go at entrepreneurs' relief, which was the 10% rate, and is now badged as business asset disposal relief, or bad relief for short, for whoever in the Treasury thought that was uh, a good acronym. Um, and, and to be fair to it, that wasn't a great, you know, a great relief. It wasn't particularly well designed or thought out about in the outset when it was introduced. But if not that, then what? You know, if, if people aren't truly incentivized to start a business with a 10% rate at, at the back end, well, at the minute, what we have is a huge number of reliefs for passive investment, such as, you know, EIS, CDIS, investors relief. Not an awful lot there for somebody who's actually a wealth creator themselves. So hopefully, yes, we might see some reform. And Boris keeps talking about the UK being Singapore on Thames and, and the like. So maybe it won't all be bad news. Let's try and focus on, on the positive for, for the year ahead. That yes, they may be looking at, at things. And if the economy doesn't bounce back, no doubt tax rises and, and the risks surrounding them, surrounding them will be on the agenda again. But hopefully there will be some good news as well to, to try and get the economy moving. Claire. Well, I don't think I can uh, f follow that with any any great detail. But uh, for, on the pension side of things, I mean, we have to say never say never. But I just don't think now is the time. Uh, we could see some fiddling around the edges, you know, with the, the allowances. Again, obviously, we've seen the freezing of the lifetime allowance, which has effectively frozen the tax-free cash for many. So there's always a knock-on effect for anything that happens around pensions but um i can live in hope that they're going to make annual allowances simpler maybe i could just put a i really want that rather than i think it's going to happen um coming up in in the future but uh, i suspect we're in for more consultations on the pensions side of things uh, and when we start getting into things like cdc then it's going to be yeah, more and more consultations okay okay great well thank you claire and thank you chris and thank you for listening and tune in again next week for the next edition of the ft advisor podcast Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.